All right, let's pray together. We'll get into Romans chapter 5 this morning. Father, it's so good to be with your people. Your promise is that where two or three are gathered, you're in our midst. We, we want to hear your word. We open up our hearts to you. Ask that you would plant your word deep inside of our hearts. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to instruct us. Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified and you would be honored. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul lays out in the book of Romans this beautiful theme of the gospel. The first three chapters bring us to the conclusion that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you needed a little bit of reminder of your own depravity, just read the first three chapters of Romans. It reminds us that we're sinners, but there's this black backdrop of our sin, then the gem of the gospel. If you remember a few weeks ago, we studied justification, justified freely by God's grace, which means that we're declared righteous, right standing with God, redemption, that we're purchased with the blood of Jesus, propitiation, the wrath of God has been appeased in our lives. Almost seems too good to be true that we would be justified apart from works through faith in Christ alone. So Paul then gives us two Old Testament examples. Heroes for the nation of Israel, Abraham and David, who were both justified by faith apart from their works. Solidifying that it was God's heart for us to be saved by grace long before, even in the Old Testament, he was pointing to the gospel. When we get to chapter 5 now, we see life of justification. What is all entailed with this gift of justification because we've been declared righteous? What's inside of this gift that God has so graciously given to us? This section of scripture, these 11 verses, is so rich uh, with meaning. And I pray that you're blessed this morning. So verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, in light of the end of chapter 3, in chapter 4, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline those two words, we have. We have. We're going to be looking at four things that we have in justification that accompany justification. There's many things that we think we have. I, I think I possess this. I, I think I own this. But then we come to realize it's very fleeting, it's very temporal. I, I didn't have that. I didn't possess that as much as I thought. In fact, so many things can and will change in life. But these things that have been given to us in Christ are things that we possess by God's grace that will be permanent in our lives. We can hold on to them in faith. And so the first is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death. Through his sacrifice, his burial, his resurrection, as we trust Christ for salvation, then we receive peace with God. Prior to knowing Christ as our Savior, we did not have peace with God because of our sin. The scripture tells us that we're actually at enmity with God. Because of his holiness and our sinfulness, that we're his enemies. But when we receive Christ as our Savior then we became justified and with justification resulted in peace with God. Now notice this peace that we have with God is not based upon our works, but it's based upon the finished work of Christ. So your peace with God is not determined by the fact 
you read your Bible this morning and you're on pace to finish it in a year. You know, that's wonderful to, to read the scriptures, but that's not the basis of your peace with God. And sometimes we think, well, if I'm doing my part, then I have peace with God. But if I missed my time in God's word, my devotions, then there went my peace with God for, for the day. Or I gave to the Lord. I, I gave resources. I, I gave time. So, so I have peace with God. No, us having peace with God is based on something far greater and it's the sufficiency of Christ and his work in our lives. Now, inside of having peace with God, we have a loving father that cares about us enough to bring discipline and bring correction. But that's not because we don't have peace with God, but it's evidence of the fact that we are in relationship with him. Please hear this this morning. What does this mean? What does Romans 5.1 mean? It means that God's not mad at you if you're in Christ. Many of us think that God's mad at us, that he's disappointed in us, that he's just waiting to bring judgment. No, you have peace with God. You're in right standing with God. When you go to bed tonight, you should sleep well, lay your head down on your pillow because you have peace with God. You have peace in the relationship that matters most. There may be a lot of things that are wrong in your life that are not going well. Circumstances and situations and struggles with sin, but yet we have peace with God. The most important thing in our life, we have peace with God. It's set, it's secure. We have peace with God. Verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. The second thing that we have, notice those two words, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access to grace. Growing up, I always had access to my dad. My dad is a hero in my life and really appreciate him and the way that he's been a father and a friend and He's always been in defense contracting during his working career. So he was an engineer doing work for the government. We were never able to go into his work because of the nature of it being confidential. So, so never went into his work building, didn't really hear too much about some of the projects that he was on. But he had a phone in his office, a landline. You remember those? <laughs> and he made it known to us kids like, hey, you can call me at work. And about 80% of the time, he would pick up his phone at work and talk to him for a few minutes. And as a kid, I always uh, appreciated that. Then into adulthood and to, to college and marriage and up until this point, like when I call my daddy, he picks up. I've got access uh, to him. Those conversations have been very meaningful. There was a couple conversations in those college years that were very formative and very transformational uh, for me. And how much more so to our Heavenly Father do we have access to His grace? Notice that grace is present tense in our lives. It's not just past tense. It's not that we only needed grace when we got saved and trusted Christ for, for salvation. But life of justification, what we have in Christ, is we have continual access to the grace of God, which will allow us 
to be able to stand. Hebrews chapter 4 is really a sister text to this. I'd like to read it to you. This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus is our faithful and merciful high priest, the God-man, the God who came in human flesh, and he understands our weakness. He understands what it's like in his humanity to be tempted with sin, but yet he never gave in to sin, and he welcomes us to the very throne room of grace. In the Old Testament, with the tabernacle and the temple, God's presence was separated with a veil. Only one man, one day a year, could go inside of that veil to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. When Jesus died upon the cross, that veil was torn in two. God's message was, because of the blood of Jesus, you have open access to my presence. There's probably someone in your life when you're going through difficulty where you're like, man, if I could just get 15 minutes with them, you know, they would sort this out for me. If it's a financial difficulty, it's like, I need to call Dave Ramsey because I'm doing better than I deserve. Doing better than I deserve, right? If I could, if I could just get Dave Ramsey, sit down with him, like he would sort out all my, my financial problems. Some relational difficulty. Man, if I just had a half an hour with them. Well, church, you've got unlimited access to the creator of the universe that happens to love you. And he's not too busy. God's not going, well, let me see if I can get you in. Let me pull up my calendar. How, how about tomorrow? How about, how about next week? No, right now. We can enter into his throne room. So is it a struggle with sin? Is it a situation where you need wisdom? Are you overwhelmed? Come to that throne room of grace. This is part of the life of justification. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to do your quiet time. You don't have to attend church on Sunday morning. You simply, because of the blood of Jesus, can come and access the throne room of grace and receive that grace and mercy to help in time of need. Remember, grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Mercy is God not giving us the judgment that we deserve. Grace is God lavishing blessings upon us based through the, the blood of Jesus. So he's ready to give grace to us in the midst of the struggle and the situation that, that we're going through. The apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, asked God to take it away. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness. So it could be a physical trial, it could be a struggle with sin. Wherever there's need in our lives, God's ready to give grace, but we have to access it. Anybody have a gift card at home that you haven't used? It's been sitting there for a while. Maybe it was a Christmas gift and you, you were pumped up about it. You're like, yes, Cabela's, Bass Pro. You know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. And yet it just sits in, in, in the drawer. So God's grace is there. The throne room of grace is there, but we have to access it. And you might say, well, how do I access it? In humility, expressed in prayer. 
The way we access the grace of God is coming to him in humility, in prayer, saying, Lord, would you help me? I can't do this on my own. I need this grace that you promise that will result in me standing. Third thing we have, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. There's a big difference between a humanistic understanding of hope and a biblical understanding of hope. The world's definition of hope is really more like a a wish or a whim. I hope that the Broncos have a better season this year. And we can be a little bit more hopeful because Russell Wilson's coming to town. Some good news. And he happens to to be a a believer. But at the end of the day, that's a, a wish or a whim. You know, the Buccaneer fans are like, I wish, I hope that Tom Brady comes out of retirement. And he did, right? But the biblical understanding of hope is not a wish or a whim, but it's confidence of coming good based on God's character and his promises. So this is God's character. This is God's promises. And I'm putting my hope in who he is. And as we rejoice in hope, as we take joy in hope of the glory of God... Church, we know where this is ending. We're going to forever be with the Lord. And we are closer to the rapture of the church than ever before. Every day, we are closer to the rapture of the church than than ever before. And you are closer to your expiration date than you've ever been before. And the same for me, right? Not that we're trying to hurry that along. But we're going to forever be with the Lord. We know how this ends. Let not your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. We put our hope there. Also, we put our hope that God is working good in our lives. That we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not that everything's going to go my way. We're going to see that in just a moment. There's trial and tribulations. But that God's with me and he's revealing his goodness in and through me as I go through life. I think we have a tremendous opportunity and need to find our hope in the Lord and to have this contagious hope that will be a witness to unbelievers. Because there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of confusion. So when unbelievers get to be around believers, that they would sense an authentic hope. Unmet expectations are very disappointing and hurtful, aren't they? We, we put our hope in the wrong thing. We put our hope in, in something other than the Lord and it leaves us disappointed. So we learn to rejoice in hope by putting our confidence in the Lord. It's something that we have. We go on to verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. This is where the text gets hard and it gets difficult. Because the first thing, three things that we have are like, woo, this is amazing. I have peace with God. I have access to grace. I rejoice in hope. But now the fourth is that we glory in tribulation. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Here's a difficulty that God allows in my life, and I'm actually glorying in it. I, I'm actually rejoicing in it. This is always a a process. It's always difficult to get to this place of of trusting, Lord, you know what you're doing. This is part of the life of justification that you would allow tribulation and that you would allow difficulty in my life to the point where I can accept it 
I can glory in it. I can trust that you're working in the midst of, of this pain. So this is why we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Tribulation is working. It's working. It's working for you. God's using it in our lives. One of the ways is it's producing perseverance. It's producing endurance. We know this in the physical. I enjoy being physically active. I I was one of those kids that had a really hard time uh, sitting uh, in school. And I still enjoy uh, being active. And, And I like pushing my body to a point where I feel like I just can't go on. And go a little bit further. Go, wait, I can run a little bit farther. I can hike a little bit more. I can ride my bike farther. Those, those type of things. And what I've come to discover is the physical body is able to do a lot more than I would think. I remember when I hiked my first 14er here in Colorado. I moved to Colorado to be the youth pastor here at RMC, and I did everything wrong on that hike. I showed up at the base of the mountain at like two in the afternoon. Just right as the clouds were, were coming in. I don't even know if I had water with me or any type of snacks. So I was just like, yeah, I, I can do this, right? And I underestimated just how brutal it was going to be. And as I'm hiking the mountain, I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> altitude sickness is real. Like this is a, a real thing. There was a false summit, and it's just mentally, it was just brutal. I was feeling, feeling terrible, but then I made it, and I made it to the summit. So the next time that I hiked a 14er, there was endurance. There was perseverance. I knew that I could do it, and I knew what the top, the glory of the, the summit would be like. Now I really like taking people to hike 14ers on their first one, right, to, to watch them go through that agony. And... <laughs> So the the same is true spiritually that we go through trial and we feel like, I just can't endure. I I can't keep going in the midst of this difficulty. But then God meets us and we're built up in perseverance. We're built up in endurance. Jesus was a man of endurance. He endured the cross, despising the shame, but looked forward to the glory that was ahead of him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy on the other side of the cross? Being reunited with the Father, but also inheriting the church, inheriting us, the bride of Christ. And as we endure, we look forward to the joy that's set before us. If you find yourself in tribulation, a difficulty this morning, is remember the grace that we have access to. Trust the the grace of God. Ask for for God's grace to give power in the midst of that tribulation. Tribulations producing perseverance and perseverance character. These are building blocks. The the perseverance comes first, then the character is uh, developed. If we lose heart or give up in, in the trial, we may miss the character that God wants to bring into our lives. I know that you know this, but I want to remind you this morning, God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. Ouch, right? 
We kind of have created this, this cultural view of God that God just wants me to be happy. Haven't found a chapter and verse for that one yet. God is concerned with our character. And why would he be concerned with our character? Because as our character grows in godliness, it actually allows us to fellowship with Christ in the light in a greater way. He says, I want you to be close to me. So I want you to have godly character so that we can walk together in in a closer way. Godly character is also a blessing in our lives. It's not always easy, but, but it's a blessing. God's ways bring life. It's, it's the abundant life. Know the truth, and the, the truth will, will set you free. Godly character is a light to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Where God really does work in our character is through trial and through difficulty. God meets us in blessing, but where he really changes us is in difficulty. So God in his love for us allows difficulty, allows trial, allows tribulation to form us. You can probably look back at difficult times in your life and go, man, I don't want to go back there. I wouldn't sign up for that. wouldn't recommend that to, to anybody. But God really used that in my life. But yet when we're in a present trial, it's easy to lose sight of that. So, Lord, I'm trusting that you're doing a work in my character, even though I don't like this. Even though I wouldn't wouldn't choose this. You're working godly character in and through me. Most often, when you get to know someone that has godly character, what has accompanied that is trial. What has accompanied that is difficulty, and they've allowed the Lord to, to shape their character through the midst of that. And character hope. After character results this hope that Paul's talking about. This confidence in God's character. This confidence in God's promises. And as we have hope, now verse 5, now hope does not disappoint. When you put your hope in God, you're not in that place of unmet expectations. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I I love this. Part of this life of justification, God's allowing trial, he's allowing difficulty. I don't necessarily love that part. But as we're going through the trial and the difficulty, God is both growing us in our character and our perseverance and our hope, but he's meeting us as well. And the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us is pouring out the love of God in the midst of that trial and difficulty. What we know is, is there's no difficulty, there's no, no trial that's greater than God's ability to comfort. God's the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies, so he can meet us in his love in a way that's greater than the difficulty. So the difficulty actually provides the opportunity for the love of God to be poured out into our hearts and minds. This means there's purpose in pain. And in reality, when we think about life, this is a huge comfort to know there's absolutely purpose in pain. That God's doing something in in my life. That this is allowing me to know the love of God. So as you're in trial this morning, cry out to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I've got the pain. I I need your love. 
I've got the tribulation, but, but I need your comfort. I, I can't do this on my own. And the love of God gets poured out into our hearts. Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, now just begins to expound on the love of God, really sharing with us how we know that God loves us. In verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When did Christ die for us? When we were without strength, when we were ungodly. In due time, at this moment that was ordained by the Father for Christ to come in human flesh, to be born in Bethlehem, to be crucified, buried, rise again. This is how we know the love of God, that that God would die for us when we were without strength, that he would die for the ungodly. In verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. So it's pretty rare that someone would die for a righteous man, that they would lay down their life for a righteous person. But, but even more scarce, that they would lay down their life for someone who is ungodly. It's pretty serious and sobering when there's someone who needs a kidney. And they begin to get word out to family and, and friends. Would you go get tested to see if you'd be a match to, to give a, a kidney? Kidney. And that's pretty serious, right? Like, man, I, I really care about this person, but God gave me two kidneys for a reason. Maybe I'm going to need that, that second kidney. It's a huge sacrifice. People get tested and go through the surgery, give up their kidneys so that someone could, could live. I have a few friends that have had kidney transplants and are, and are alive and living healthy lives because someone was willing to go through that, that process. And usually you're willing to go through that process because that person is close to you and you, you care for that, that person. Well, let's contrast that with somebody that's got a life sentence. We got a lot of bad guys in prison here in Colorado at, at Supermax. I don't think a lot of them are receiving kidneys from donors. There's not a lot of people going... Yeah, I want to give up my kidney for for that guy that's got a life sentence in a federal penitentiary. And what the message is here is, I was ungodly. I was the one with a life sentence because of my sin. And God actually loved me when I was at my worst. Loved me when I didn't want anything to do with him. Loved me when I was living a rebellious life. Brings us to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates, but God. Only God would love in this way. But God, he demonstrates his own love. This is a love that he possesses in and of himself. His love is on clear display for us. God doesn't want us to doubt that he loves us because while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we had a heart for God. He didn't die for us when we were reading the Bible. He didn't die for us when we were reaching out and being willing to go on a short-term missions trip. He actually died for us while we were still sinners to win our hearts. He pursued us in this process of reconciliation. This verse is what changed my life. This verse is what led me to Christ. And, and I didn't know it was Romans 5.8. But it was this truth. 
I was raised in a Christian family, born on a Sunday. The next Sunday, from what I hear, I was in church, went to a Christian school, but developed a really hard heart towards God. Didn't want to have anything to, to do with the Lord. Was completely serving myself. Feeling empty my freshman year of high school. Went to youth group. I was still going to youth group. And our youth pastor, the beginning of the year, January 1st, he says, here's an envelope. Put your address on it. And inside, on this piece of paper, write three things that you want God to do in your life. And I'll mail it to you a year later. And in that emptiness, I wrote down, God, I want you to be more real to me than my older brother. My brother's 22 months older. He was real in my life, but, but God wasn't real in my life. God was gracious four days later. Just four days later. It was January 4th, freshman year of high school. I'm walking home from the basketball gym, gym in rainy southern Oregon. And I saw some kids that were just playing out in the yard. Young early elementary age kids. And it was the first time that I had heard God's voice. It wasn't audible, but I knew that God was speaking to my heart. Eric, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I've wanted everything to do with you. All those years of, of growing up, having a hard heart towards God, God was loving me and wanted everything to, to do with me. It was Romans 5.8. Walked into our home there in Brentwood Drive in Medford, Oregon, and just tears coming down my face, telling my parents, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. I'm sure they're probably thinking, you knucklehead, we've been telling that your whole life, right? <laughs> but it's the distance between the head and the heart. And everything changed. It wasn't that there wasn't still struggle with sin, but something happened in my heart. I woke up the next morning as the craziest thing that ever happened to me is I had a desire to read the Bible. Because for me, reading the Bible was always something you have to do. Eric, you have to read your Bible. That's what I would, would hear at church and hear at Christian school and hear at home. You have to read your Bible. You have to read your Bible. But now I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to get to know this love. That God loved me when I didn't want anything to do with him. Started reading Matthew chapter 1. I know for some of you this seems strange, but then I wanted to go to church. I myself wanted to be at church. I wanted to hear God's word be taught. I wanted to, to start, start serving, all because of the love of God and, and the grace of God. Now, how does this connect back to glory and tribulation? In context, this is what Paul's talking about. Is he's saying, look, you can trust God in these crushing blows of life, because you know the character of God that he died for you when you were at your worst. Because when we're in the valley of really hard trials, we can doubt the goodness of God. And that may be where you're at right now. And I've been there too. And in those moments, we need to look at the cross. When we're faced with what we don't know, we rely upon what we do know. And God, I know that you love me because when I didn't want anything to do with you, you gave your son for me. And the blood of Jesus was shed for me to provide salvation so I can trust you in the midst of this trial. I can trust that you're using it in my life even though I wish that I wasn't in this situation. We're going to get there 
in a few weeks in Romans 8, but Paul says, God gave his son for you. How will he not freely with him give you all things? And the idea is all good things. So if God gave me his son, then I can trust that he's got my best intention in mind. I I hope that you've got two or three people in your life that you know they have your best intention in mind. Like, oh yeah, they've got my, my best interest in mind. Well, God definitely has your best interest in mind. He proved it. He demonstrated by dying for us while we were sinners. In verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. By the blood of Jesus, bringing about justification to those who believe in faith, there's a certainty we're saved from the wrath to come. We're saved from hell. We're saved from eternal damnation and separation from God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here we were, enemies to God, not wanting anything to to do with him, a hard heart towards God, but through the blood of Jesus, we're reconciled. As soon as we trusted, believed in the blood of Jesus, then we're reconciled. We're made right with God. We've got this debt that we can't pay, but it's paid through the blood of Jesus, and now we're in right standing with God. So if God did that for us while we were enemies, how much more so now that you're in Christ, that you're justified, that you do have a heart for God, that we're saved by his life. God's grace doesn't perish in our lives. God's grace doesn't cease in our lives. It's it's continual. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And this is just our hearts getting into the gospel, into the goodness of, of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we rejoice in God. Through Jesus, we, oh man, it's so good to be justified. It's so good to have peace with God. It's so good to have access to grace. It's so good to rejoice in hope. It's so good to know there's, there's purpose in pain. I can, I can live there and, and trust the Lord. It's so good to know that Christ loved me while I was still a sinner. He's gracious towards me. You may have been thinking as you were coming to church this morning, I wonder if it's going to be one of those messages where I get beat up on, where I'm reminded how lousy I am at being a Christian. And I got to do better and I got to try harder. Well, you're not getting beat up this morning. What I want you to hear is what you have in the blood of Jesus. If you trust Christ as your Savior, these are things that you have. That God has given to you by his grace. You have peace with God. Take a deep breath. God's not mad at me. Isn't that good to know? God's not disappointed with me. He loves me. I I have his favor. I I have peace with God. You've got access to grace. How many days of our lives have we left God's grace on the table? It's that gift card that we haven't accessed, that we haven't used. He's ready to give grace. We've just got to come in humility and in faith and prayer. What is it that you need grace for? Is it a trial? Is it a physical challenge? Is it the financial difficulties? We've been talking about what we have this morning. 
well, there's something that we don't have, and that's gas money, right? It's like, God, I need your grace. I need your, your provision. These are crazy times and inflation going up and th- those type of things. We've got ac- access to God's grace to be able to stand. God's not surprised by the challenges that we're going through. We get to rejoice in hope. Put, put your hope, put your expectation on the, the character of God. Yes, there's purpose in pain. Persevere. God's developing your character. He's establishing you in, in biblical hope. And as you go through trial, know that you know that you know you are loved by God. You're, you're loved by him. Look at the blood of Jesus and remember, oh, I am loved by the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you haven't trusted him, what are you waiting for? This is a God who loves you, loves me, loves sinners to the point where he died on the cross for us and rose again. These things that we've talked about this morning are only for believers. What God asks of us is to believe. And as we believe, then we're saved, we're justified, we're declared righteous. But if we choose to reject Christ of the course of a lifetime, the Bible tells us we're eternally separated from him in hell. God doesn't want any to perish. He wants you to be saved, but you've got to make that decision to turn from sin and believe and receive Christ as your Savior. As we close, there's going to be a ministry team, a prayer team available here in the front, and I'm going to invite you to come. And I know that's hard to do, but as we stand and we worship, Jesus very publicly stood and died for you upon the cross because he loves you. And maybe you are like me, where you've had a hard heart towards the Lord, you've been exposed to the Lord, but you've never surrendered to him. Or maybe you've been kind of neutral towards Christ. But even a non-decision is a no decision. What if you have a friend where you're like, hey, let's go get coffee. Hey, let's go get coffee. Yeah, I'd love to sometime. I'd love to sometime. I'd love to sometime. But they never do it. They're not hostile to the idea, but they're still saying no. And you've maybe been more neutral towards Christ. Today's the day of salvation. So come, trust Christ, receive that free gift of salvation. Online, we have a team that's available as well. You can indicate a decision for Christ in the chats and in the comments. Then for us as believers, if you need prayer, if you're like, man, I am really going through a trial and I need prayer, we'd love to come alongside of you and to, to pray with you. Would you stand with me and let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Jesus, thank you that you loved me when I didn't want to have anything to do with you. Such a hard heart towards you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood that was shed upon the cross. Thank you for this life that we now have in justification. For the peace that we have with you, Father. Would that really sink into our hearts? We, we take advantage of the grace that we need today. What is the trial that you're going through? Come to the Lord right now and ask for grace. What's the sin that you're struggling with? Ask for grace. Ask for help. And we rejoice in hope. God, you're good. Your promises are true. Glory awaits us. And in the midst of pain, we know that you love us. Holy Spirit, would you cause your love to explode in our hearts where your love would be greater, bigger 
than the pain and the disappointment that we experience. God, I, I don't know the pain that people are going through this morning, right here in this room and online, but, but you do, where, where there's divorce, and that's caused such deep pain, would, would you bring healing? God, where there's been abuse, this horrible abuse in, in their life, Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort? God, where there's physical challenge, where a physical body is broken and doesn't operate the way that it should and that there's chronic pain, Father, would you bring comfort? Where there's a loss of a loved one, a death of a spouse or a, a child or a close friend, Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort? Those areas of our lives that we just haven't been able to have victory in, Jesus, would, would you give us grace? As we've studied these truths, God, would you please help us to experience them, help us to, to live in them. God, would you bless your people? In Jesus' name, amen.